0: Welcome to the Let's Talk Data podcast series presented by SAP. Hello everyone and welcome to our Let's Talk Data podcast. My name is Ginger. I'll be your host for this series. This is actually our uh, third series uh, in our Let's Talk Data and I'm super excited about today. Uh, Today we're going to really be discussing uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence and data management and data orchestration, kind of the combination of all those. In fact, if you've listened to other ones, our entire series is about this topic, but today is gonna to be extra special because we are really fortunate to have with us today two experts, both in AI and data science and data management. So first I'm joined by uh, Kevin Poskett, who is our solution owner for SAP Data Intelligence. Kevin, are you in Vancouver today or where are you located?
1: I am based in Vancouver, and I'm fortunate to be home today.
0: Oh, yay. So Kevin is, is, um, we're really lucky to have him. I met Kevin uh, a few months ago at SAP, and he's got so much knowledge and so much passion, and um, I'm just really looking forward to hearing what he has to say. Every time he talks, I'm learning something new. So Kevin, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so happy that you're here. Thanks for having me. And then uh, we also have Doug with us today. So Doug is—you—you um, you always hear about Doug before you actu- actually meet Doug. Doug, is that true? I think that's your reputation kind of precedes you. I'll—I'll—I'll
2: <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll take the tip on that.
0: <laughs> so Doug is with our Global Center of Excellence, and he's really focused on data science. And we're going to be uh, talking a lot about different topics related to data science and information management today. So Doug, I actually want to start with you when we were uh, meeting earlier and we were you know talking about hey we want to do this podcast and i was asking you about the relationship between artificial intelligence and data quality and how they're related and what does it mean to even have good data for ai and you told me something in that preparation that just really stuck with me you told me that you have spent a lifetime waiting for people to get correct data to you. What do you mean by that? And you can you kick us off with this whole relationship between artificial intelligence and data quality and data management, please?
2: Sure. So so of course, um, machine learning AI is always focused on data. So data is at the heart of, of what we do. And uh, of course, you want uh, and need to have uh, data quality and and often with traditional structured data machine learning people spend i would say typically 80 percent of their time just munging with data asking questions of data and often this is where you really uncover data quality issues so the data scientist thinks very differently about data than IT people. And and you'd think, oh, data's data. Everyone
0: knows what data is,
2: everyone thinks about it the same way, but really uh, developers and IT people really think about it, data in a very, very different way. And often the data scientist is waiting (laughs) for new data sources or for polls to data that they're not not allowed to have access to because it's part of an operational system or, uh, you know, all sorts of reasons why, you know, they're at the back end of the process around data. And it's, uh, it's you know, so you often, uh, especially when you're working with customers or even if you're, you know, a data scientist at a company, you're waiting on people to get you data. and uh, and. IT and data quality people are often kind of, well, the data's dirty. We, we're we're not gonna, you know, we don't want to get you the data now because we're just not. We know that we have all these problems with it. We're gonna we're gonna try to fix it. And often, kind of, what I'm like, no, don't worry about fixing it. Get me the data as is. I want to see the raw, unfiltered, unsanitized data because there's when you often ask those questions of that data, you learn interesting things, especially when you can talk to either IT and or business people. You often kind of reveal subtleties about business processes and IT processes that are really important for you to understand to solve the problem you're trying to solve. So so that's one of the reasons I've said, you know, you've spent a, a lifetime waiting for data and and the and I and I would just kind of end this first Initial thought by saying it this way, which is nobody ever has perfect data. If you wait until your data warehouse is built, or if you wait until the data is perfect before you start building models, you will never ever build any models.
0: Okay. If we wait till everything's perfect, it's kind of like if I wait till I lose the 80 pounds I need to lose to go to the beach, I'll never get there. Is that right, exactly. Doug? It's exactly right. <laughs> it's exactly right. And, and Doug, I think you're joining us today. You said you're in Hollywood, right? Is that what you said? I, I,
2: well, technically
0: Beverly Hills. but Beverly very close Hills. Beverly yep. Hills. Okay. All right. So if you see a sighting of someone famous, I really want you to interrupt and let us know who you see there just in case, right? Okay. We wouldn't <laughs> want to miss seeing a movie star. Yeah. So, Kevin, I think it's really interesting that, Doug has talked about this, waiting for data and, you know, our data quality is never clean and, you know, it costs a lot to keep your data clean. and you really, we talk to data quality people, they really, you really have to think about what data do you need to keep clean and where do you want to invest. And so you're the solution owner of SAP Data Intelligence that... If I understand correctly, is new. I'd like for you to update us on that a little bit. And it combines data management and AI. Why did we do that? Is it because of what uh, Doug is talking about, or what is why is this combination of data management and information with AI important? And tell us a little bit about you know what you're doing at SAP, and and just kind of fill us in some, if you would.
1: Yeah, of course. So SAP Data Intelligence is a new product. Um, And it was really born from the realization that when people talk about machine learning or they talk about artificial intelligence, um, it's really only half of the story. And, and as Doug alluded to, data is fundamentally what drives most, if not all, machine learning efforts and, and AI efforts. At the end of the day, we have some very um, complex uh, statistical tools and methods that we apply to large sets of data in order to uncover patterns and trends. Um, in many ways, it's the evolution of what we used to do around, you know, reporting and data visualization. And there, there are a lot of parallels between those two things. Um, the human brain cannot look at hundreds of thousands of lines of data and and instinctively notice patterns. Um, and also humans tend to uh, put their own biases in play. So a lot of the times when you're looking at a report or you're looking at a data visualization, you're really trying to confirm a hypothesis you already hold. Um, because we have so much data, because we have so much data, uh, so many types of data stored in so many areas. What Doug said is truly accurate, that if you waited for the time that the data was perfect and all sitting in one place and in one data warehouse and it was cleaned and it was this single version of the truth that everyone's been chasing for 20 or 30 years, um, that data is now out of date or you've gone and you've acquired new data through an acquisition or what have you, and all of a sudden you're starting all over again. So we realized that in order to do what we call enterprise AI, And by enterprise AI, I mean um, AI that is trustworthy, AI that is transparent, AI that can be actually deployed into production as opposed to just sitting in the lab. In order to make all of those things possible, you need to have a handle on your data and you need to do that in a world where data is highly distributed. And so it won't be sitting in just one single data warehouse. And it won't just be structured data coming off of some database system you have. It will be streams of data coming from sensors and IoT devices. It will be unstructured data from social media feeds or text or syslogs. It it can be image data. It can be audio data. And this could be sitting anywhere. It could be within the four walls of your data center. It could be with a third-party data provider. It could be in a private cloud. It could be in one of any number of public clouds and being able to orchestrate the flows of data between all of these systems, being able to give people like Doug access to this data, even in its raw format, but in a governed manner, so that the people that have access to that data are allowed to have access to that data, and that you're feeding back the work that's being that is being done. So if Doug sees some, some quality issues and, and has an idea of how to fix it, um, that you're actually building that directly into this orchestration uh, pipeline that you're doing, as opposed to Doug fixing his, the data for his needs, and then he goes and he and he you know builds his model and he's all happy. Um, but then the next time someone wants to use the data, they have to do the same thing all over again. I think one of the reasons it takes 80% of the time sourcing and cleansing data is people are not u- reusing what they've already done, and so data intelligence is 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 a is a solution that we have built comprehensive data management capabilities uh, comprehensive data cataloging and search and index capabilities together with everything you need to develop machine learning models to put those uh, those experimental models into production and to actually automate to some degree the testing the retraining and the life cycle of those models so the goal here was to bring together both halves. Um, in order to to really make sure that people are able to deliver uh, trustworthy, enterprise-grade, artificial intelligence. And and that's really why, at the end of the day, um, AI is kind of the shiny object that everyone talks about, but the data is still what really matters. It's almost like if you went back 10 years and every executive wanted to have a dashboard, um, and then everyone's dashboard said different things, and everyone was arguing over whose pretty dashboard was the correct one. If your data is not clean, if your data is not well-managed, and given today's complex landscape, that's very challenging, it doesn't matter if you have an, an, an AI model, if the data that feeds it is inaccurate, because your results are only going to be as good as the as the input. It's the old garbage in, garbage out saying.
2: So, uh, so Kevin, the, the other thing I would say, that's, which is – Kind of the the ideas behind data intelligence, which I think are going to be revolutionary in certain ways, is that uh, often as a data science person, what I'll I will ask uh, in in the process is, what data do we have available when we need to make a decision or a prediction, and it, you know it, a lot of times. Uh, you'd have to kind of say to yourself, well, this other data I have is really interesting and useful and perhaps really very predictive, but at the time I'm going to need to score new individual cases in a real-time situation, my IT infrastructure won't really give me access to that. So I'll say, well, yeah, this would be great if I could use it, but since it's not plausible to be used in the context of a real-time decision, I'm not going to include it and I'll just use what I know is going to be available to me. With, With data intelligence and this kind of the ability to orchestrate, this may really be a game changer around that topic and really allow me to use other kinds of data and not really require it all to be in a single specific place at any one time. So this notion of data in flight, but still might be available to me, uh, is, is an incredibly powerful idea that uh, will really change, I think, the way people think about what predictive fields might be able to be included into a model.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think you're right there. And uh, what, what we thought about quite a lot was, I mean, if you look at the CRISP, DM model. It does a really good job of showing you how you build a single model, assuming you've managed to find all the data you need and not considering at all what you do once you've built the model, right? And so we sort of said, well, what's the expanded view? And I think it's not just, hey, we might make it possible for you to use data sources that you didn't have access to before. You might even be able to find data sources that you didn't know existed, right? The The goal with our uh, product first is to act as almost a, a type of of a fabric that orchestrates and connects all of the relevant data assets across the organization. And by having it search and index capabilities, you know, if you just typed in what you're looking for, it would show you, here's everything that's available on the system. And then that access, of course, could be governed and restricted as necessary. But the the, the follow-on piece to that, and what I'm really excited about, is this sense of building almost collaborative communities, where instead of it being IT saying, no, you can't have this data, and you demanding it, um, being able to say here's what we can share what you can have access to you being able to say here are some changes and things that I need done utilizing the skills of the people in IT to help you do your job and then at the same time once you've created uh, say a fully featured engineer data set for a specific purpose that data set. Um, is preserved, or, or at least how you got that data set and the rules and the transformations that were applied. And you can even go and tag that data set as well. So there's almost a content curation for data sources and also, you know, feature engineered data sets that, that different data science teams are producing. And I really do think that one of the great things about data science teams and organizations is their agil- agility. But one of the bad things is agility often means that there's not great collaboration because everyone's very focused on just solving one specific problem. And the hope really is this solution will bring together um, all the different sort of people and the types of roles that are involved in not just data science, but um, also other data-related activities, and really make it possible for people to work closer together and, and ideally not have to work so hard doing
2: the same tasks over and over again. So, so it, 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 Kevin, it, it, back in the day, I what 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 we would often do is 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 a data science practitioner is create a, a data dictionary, which typically was an Excel document that you know was never kind of updated in any coherent IT enterprise kind of fashion so you would say here's the you know and you'd have all these columns in there and you know here's the name of the field and here's a description of the field and you know all the all these things that geeky data science people want and need to know about a field to think about how to build it into a model uh but you know working in isolation if the underlying systems that help generate that stuff change you know the excel the excel file is never updated So, uh, you know, so this, you know, this ability to kind of collaborate and discover, because believe it or not, the world just doesn't stand still and data changes. And, you know, at the back end of that is the data scientist. And, you know, it's often, you know, that you wouldn't find out about that until, you know, at a much later time, if you ever found out about it. So, uh, the only way you might find out about it is if a model's in production, uh, is that you're, you know, all of a sudden it's decaying a lot faster than you ever anticipated it. And, you're like, why? And then there's this kind of, you know, exploratory investigation about why is my model decaying after to rebuild it? Why do I, why do I, and it's because. Elements about the data that may be key to the model have all of a sudden changed, but there was no kind of mechanism in place for notification or, or no easy way to explore. So you know, so I think you know this. You know, we, we always talk about data science is a team sport, and the and the person building the model is only one part of only one team member. It's, you know, at an enterprise level, this is a team sport. It's, it's not golf or tennis. It's, it's more like, you know, soccer or football. <laughs> and you need different people doing different things in order for all this to kind of work. And, you know, the days of trying to do this all by yourself, yeah, you can try to build a model in isolation, but the likelihood of that ever being put in into a production system is, is like, extremely small. You, you, you need the coordination and you need the mechanisms that allow people to work together and, and it's becoming much more specialized uh, by necessity.
0: So I have a question for both of you guys around this topic. If we if we look at like um, Doug, you'd said that the data science is a is a team sport where we need to really bring everyone together and how we we're thinking about things like data intelligence and this particular product that, that Kevin owns at SAP, being able to, you know, bring these two parts of the world together. Um, I'm just I'm just wondering how is that gonna work in 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 reality? Like like you said today, Doug, that. Do the data scientist team do they normally not get what what they want from IT? So so let's say for example we'll have this tool out here where different people will be able to use it. So maybe the data architect, maybe the data scientist. Um, um, I guess I, I, I guess my question is around um, how how will this work in in reality, each person will use the tool at the time when they need to. Yeah. So,
2: so let me let me start by saying this: that it, when we go talk to customers today, what we what we tell them is that this is a this is a three legged stool. You 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 need of course you need data science people, and you need and you need kind of people who support who are in certain sense supportive around the data quality and, and all, the, all the data management. You know, so nothing happens without data. So, it's, so you need that infrastructure of of people, and, and, and included in, in that is is the data science person who if, you know after after the data is managed is is building is building models. You also need, in in you need that IT infrastructure, and uh, you know, and to do the types of things that I think Kevin and myself and SAP community want our customers to do, which is to operationalize the machine learning and to make it part of business processes and systems. You you need the IT people who are going to be doing DevOps, who the people who are making sure the systems are up and running and and everything is uh, you know there's highly reliable, highly available, disaster recovery, et cetera, et cetera. Because if if you're building models that are part of a mission critical process, you know, you, you need a set of, you know, software development lifecycle set of approaches. Otherwise that's never gonna happen. You know, data scientist doesn't know how to do that. That's a whole other kind of set of skills. And of course you need the business person to kind of, A, bless that as you change kind of processes that were born analog into, you know, more digitized machine learning things, you need them on board as well. So it's, it's you need all three legs of the stool. And if you only have two of them, it's going to fail. So, you know, so that's kind of the, you know, the painful lessons that I've learned in my career is you can't just have the IT people, can't just have the data science people. You have to have the business people as well. All three legs of the stool are critical. If you're really going to, you know, if you really want to make an impact with machine learning and AI, you know, anyone, you know, it's very easy to build a model it's not so easy to put it into production with all that kind of IT process, et cetera, and, and kind of getting business owners in place. And the more we do that, we'll also have to have kind of, and it's, the more we kind of make the machine learning, AI, do the things that are typically manually done by humans, we're, we're gonna need other kinds of human infrastructure along here as well. We're gonna need people who know how to explain models to business people, uh, who uh, uh, Doherty from Accenture in his book, Human Plus Machine, calls explainers. And then you're also gonna need sustainers. And sustainers are people who are actually not the data scientists, but these are the people who are gonna be doing the performance appraisals around the models. They're gonna be saying, okay, we built this model and we built it. It wasn't in production. There was no way to kind of know at that time what perhaps maybe some of the unintended consequences are uh, in our business processes of now being relying on this model to do things. So all these kinds of people, the explainers, the sustainers, as well as the data scientists and the IT and the DevOps people, they're all All of them are going to need the agility and the flexibility of being able to orchestrate data and manage models that kind of what Kevin's data intelligence product is going to provide. It's going to become completely essential. Now, I would be lying to you if I would be telling you that this was simple. (laughs) It's not going to be simple. But rarely anything that's really innovative and important and game-changing is ever simple. So, what I think Kevin's product does is, yeah, there's going to be a lot of business process change, and humans are going to have to learn a lot of different things that they don't know yet, and these different kinds of groups of people are going to have to learn how to collaborate and work together. but there's at least kind of a lot of this a lot of the tasks that have been just so cumbersome and difficult that have prevented people in the past from ever doing this are now we're going to be enabled around around data orchestration and data quality and data governance. Uh, Than the past have never really existed.
1: Yeah, I really, I really like the way you put that, Doug. And certainly, when we thought about this, that idea of how do we bring things together was really important because a lot of the times, uh, you know, even if the the model itself could be explainable, I would say that that data science has been in general a black box approach. And so, I mean, I really, I really like cooking, um, and it's almost like you would say. Um, go to a data science team and, and say, uh, put in your order, right? And like, I'd really like a, you know, a, I don't know, a, a nice steak or something like that, or I would like this meal. And they would go and find the ingredients and they would, you know, produce this meal. But if you said, okay, now we need to scale that out to, you know, 10,000 orders. Well, all of a sudden it became impossible. Right. And and the same sort of issue happens. The one way that you can do this is you can just say, I want to pull all of the data into my little, you know, um, sort of home-built data science environment. We're going to work on it. We produce these models in isolation. And then I turn around and say, okay, IT, go put this into production. Go go run this for me. And IT has no idea what was done, where the data came from, um, how to actually recreate any of that in a production environment. It's, it's like giving someone the end result of, of all of your, you know, hours and hours of cooking and saying, okay, make this meal and just make it over and over again. They say, well, I don't know what ingredients you use. I don't know what techniques you applied. I don't know, you know, what you did with the heat. I don't know how to make this. And so a lot of times um, that's why models don't make it into production because reproducing all of the steps Then requires that data science teams have to work with IT and DevOps and IT ops and uh, data architects to reproduce everything that was done. And so our approach is to try and create a single comprehensive solution that means that people are actually building all of these steps on the same solution. And so when it comes time to put into production, guess what? We know where the ingredients were sourced from. We know what transformations have been applied to it. We have the model itself. And speaking of DevOps, because we have this cloud-based architecture with something called a containerized approach, we can basically spin up multiple different environments that are a walled garden to the other environment. So data scientists can work with different frameworks, different open source tools and frameworks that they might want. When you say, I want to put this into production, well, we know where the data came from. We know what you did to it. We know what frameworks were applied to it. We know what infrastructure was underlying all of that. And we can basically take that And expose it as a production environment and then connect the data to that API and just run it and it's not dependent on any other things in production, which is another area that things frequently fall down because. One set of data scientists may have used a different framework or a different version of libraries than another set of models and those can't coexist, Um, but because we have this container approach we don't actually have that problem so. Some of it is technology, Um, but I think as Doug alluded to, the best technology in the world doesn't matter if you don't have the right people and the right processes. And you need to bring together the collaboration of the the people that are involved around a a technology set that hopefully makes it possible for everyone to work and look at the same thing. And it needs to be uh, a very process-driven process driven uh, environment so that's this idea that you have the the sustainers is how do we actually take this and make it a repeatable process that can actually scale because without that you've just you just found something really really interesting but having a, a eureka moment and then running naked through the streets when there's no one around listening to you doesn't matter. you have to take those insights and you have to get them into um, a place where people are making decisions and where the decisions that the business need to make are being impacted uh, at the right time. It doesn't do you any good to know what you should have done three months ago. You need to have the insights to know what you should be doing uh, two weeks from now, three months from now.
2: So the other, the other thing I would just say, add to that, Kevin, is, is you know, when, when we talk about ML and AI, you know, there, there's there's humans – making machines smarter and those machines making and taking over business processes and this is especially true right now for things that are very simple and you know what i think people call narrow ai or you know so so very simple repetitive things that humans often do manually we can just do those things better more reliably with machine learning you know we we need the intelligence we don't necessarily need the consciousness on the, on the flip side of that is, is kind of what Kevin was just talking about as well, which is we also want the machines to augment us to help us solve problems that you know that humans still are ultimately needed. Because as cool and as powerful and as capable as machine learning is right now, there's still many things that humans can do that the machine is not anywhere close to being able to do. So to be able to ask kind of what we call counterfactual questions of, you know, what would have happened at time X if I had done this instead of this? Or, you know, or or what people often refer to as reward engineering. How, you know, I can, you know, predictions are now going to become a commodity, but understanding outcomes and putting value and judgments on those, that's still a human endeavor. And it will be for the foreseeable future. So, it, so it's you know, so machine learning has you know, it, you know, can automate lots of simple things like you know bots, you know, answering very simple questions, uh, you know, <coughs> reconciliation of, of things, you know, entering in data. These these types of things can all be done very simply with uh, you know either RPA or machine learning kinds of technology. But when we still need the human. We still might want the human to be augmented by the machine learning and and you know you know we have all this data the predictions predictions are just going to be a commodity and you know so predictions just used to happen via humans and you know with their own kind of models in their head now we have the data now we should be able to be better doing that it should just become a commodity but we'll still need the the humans to kind of do that reward engineering and in, in the judgment of outcomes, or what happens when when you know X happens versus Y, and and so and to do all this, we we need these kind of collaborative tools. Uh, uh, so uh, otherwise, it's coherently won't have a way to manage manage any of this.
1: Yeah, and I, I think you, you hit on a nice point there because you know obviously working in this space, uh, there's a lot of people worried about you know, what, what impact automation will have. And, you know, one of the things that you really raise is what humans are very good at at doing what I call the sniff test, right? We, we know when something just doesn't smell right Um, is one area that machine learning is particularly bad at. I mean, if you took a well-trained model that was doing an image recognition and you just Photoshop something in there that doesn't make any sense um, the whole thing goes haywire because it just is is now no longer logical. It's uh, just to, to really highlight how much of a nerd I am. It's like, you know, the correct approach when fighting the Borg is to just go with completely randomized, nonsensical violence, um, because machines are logical and cannot handle the chaos. And, and that's really a good example of how what we do is we fuse together, what machines are great at and what humans are great at. Um, I don't know, I mean, I've worked many jobs where I was in Excel just... Doing the same thing over and over again. And then I learned VB script so I wouldn't have to do it, so I could focus on more important things. Um. For all, as fancy as the words are and complex as the, the method of getting to predictions can be, at the end of the day, we're still talking about uh, automating away repetitive tasks that don't make the best use of what humanity has to provide. Um, and what humans can do that, that at least to date, no machine has been able to do and, and I think would be hard-pressed to do. Um, is really this idea of, of intuitive leaps of, of logic and the sense of innovation that really kind of defies logic uh, more than anything else. So I am really excited uh, to help build these collaborative environments and tool sets, but really the, the true value will come with when we combine the technology with the, the, the human uh, ingenuity, the human spirit that, that companies have and see how that really helps Organizations um, improve their business and improve their customer experience, and that's at the end of the day why I love what I do and, and why I'm involved in it and, and continue to be passionate about
0: it. So, this conversation today has been really fantastic. I want to I want us to end with one other question that I want to ask you guys, and that's about. Uh, for people that are listening that maybe have done a little ML, or maybe that they haven't done any, maybe some of these people are coming from a data management perspective, right? Because, Kevin, as you said, this tool really brings together the both, 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 uh, both worlds. And we want to get started. So my question is either lines of business or use cases. I mean, obviously, from what you said, it would have to be something that has a business impact. But how would i measure if i know i want to try something out around this right i know i want to try something where i'm bringing in uh, some of my data trying to solve a a specific problem are there low-hanging use cases or lines of business that you would recommend if i wanted to explore this within my own company
1: um well so i'll I'll take a quick one on it but doug probably has more background here than i do i mean certainly where we see people starting is usually something in the realm of uh, sales and marketing and customer experience, right? If if I can understand what products are being purchased, if I can understand what groups of products are likely to sell better together, cross sell and upsell, or looking at you know inbound interest and being able to score leads, I mean these are areas where I think people have done a lot of of uh, experimentation we We certainly see in highly asset intensive industries, uh, predictive maintenance being really important. so mm-hmm. can i can I understand when a part is likely to fail? Um, and and doing that requires combining streams of data and sometimes image data like infrared data together with business data. so there there's still a lot of data work that needs to happen in any of these use cases. Um, in the broadest stroke way that I used to talk to, to customers about this is, you know, you really have uh, the ability to say, okay, if I wanted to know the probability of an event or something occurring, what would be the most meaningful set of, of those events that I could predict, right? Like if you could say there's a 90% chance that X will happen, what is the X that would really make a difference to your business? And start writing those out. And then from there, figure out, do we have the data? to actually do this and start building those experiments. And, and I think that's kind of a, a prioritization exercise that you can think about. One of the challenges has been that people didn't really know how to think about the problems that they could solve.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and, and, and so, like, we talk about classification and regression, and it sounds really complicated, but at the end of the day, it's if you could have a probability that X would occur, what X would you like to know? And, and which, which of those creates the most business value? Um, or if you could understand why a number, so take revenue, for example, or, or an expense. What is driving revenue? What is driving that expense? That's what a regression is. And so it's it's really starting to think about from a business context, what do I want to be able, what numbers do I want to explain and know what's driving those numbers or what potential events might happen where it would be really valuable for me to be able to look at which are high probability versus low probability events. Um, Doug, I don't know what what thoughts you have. You've been more hands on with with our customers, and I think you have more experience in the field. So, would love to know what you're seeing.
2: That may that may just mean that I'm older, but um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, so I so the. The, the tendency, by the way, is and, and what everyone wants to do is uh, think not that much about the business problem and then just jump start jumping into data and, and trying to build models. But it, that is that is as tempting as that often is. That is almost always the wrong way to kind of think about this, and and so and, and so I was um, I was trained in in a methodology which which Kevin has already mentioned, which is CRISP-DM, which is you know how do you, you start with you know business understanding and there's you know there's ten thousand different things companies can do, you know only some of which is machine learning um, around uh, improving business processes and. Uh, you really need not just the CRISP-DM methodology, but you really need a methodology around innovation. And one of the kind of incredible eye-opening things for me in joining SAP was this this notion of design thinking approaches where you really kind of go through a, a sophisticated approach of how you basically rank order what the opportunities are and, and and when i'm when i'm doing kind of a business understanding i you know i you, you know, business people you know they're they're smart around their business they may not necessarily know anything about machine learning but they don't necessarily have to but what they do need to understand is you, you know we ask simple questions like you know if i can predict something and i can predict it correctly Help me understand what the monetary value is 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 for you as the company, and, or if I predict it and I'm wrong, which will almost always happen, <laughs> what does that cost me? Or if I, you know, so if I if I predict a, a false and it's really a true, what does that cost me? So I I kind of create that this little two by two matrix saying I can predict a, a one and it is a one. What's my business value? And I don't answer that. I'm not. I'm not the right person to answer that. That's the that's the business owner or you know that and that's those are the kinds of questions that you need to answer first before you ever start looking at data and these types of things. And this Kevin mentioned it's it's very tempting to kind of do this around your, your customer life cycle, you know, uh, things, so acquiring customers, um, uh, upselling, cross-selling customers, and that, that, that often sounds incredibly sexy and a thing that has immediate impact around sales and marketing. And it often can. But at SAP, for example, we have lots of customers that are really B2B customers, and the uh, and, and that may not make the most sense for them. So it really, in in it really, in many ways, it depends on where you are in a life stage as a company. Are, are you a an analog company, and where you've done a a, a pretty good job of kind of managing customer experience, and now you need to do innovation. If that's the case, then maybe your your focus is how do I use machine learning to help me create the products and services that I'm creating. If, on the other hand, you're you know, <laughs> you're a startup, you that may be the other you know maybe the opposite extreme. So it does um, the 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 tendency is for people to not think. And come up with the, the use cases of how much you know. Here's the 30 things I should be thinking about, and figuring out a way to rank order them in a in a, in a business context. And that's that's usually what I find companies find extremely difficult to do. So, uh, and and you know, just you know, prediction is you know is not the end of itself. There's there has to be this kind of reward engineering that takes clever business people uh, to think about. And, you know, if I predict this, and you know, this is the outcome, what's that, you know, what's the reward for me? Is those, that's the kind of thinking that I think it's difficult for business people who've never thought about machine learning or, or, or analog, who or are born analog, that they, they need to do that. And the, the other thing I would say is that often we have measures, we have data, but the way we met, way we're trying to measure something is often inadequate or really poor, and then if you try to do machine learning on that, you're you'll often get really suboptimal outcomes. So you know, I was talking just the other day to a customer who is uh, trying to control waste on you know they make lots of products; it's very expensive to make them, and they're they're they sell them to consumers. It's these, in this case, food items and they're, they're measuring waste, but the way they measure the waste is often really poor. So, uh, you know, they're, they're waiting for a, a store clerk employee to, at the end of the shift, open up SAP ERP and enter in the number of hot dogs they've thrown out. You know, is that the best way to measure it? Or maybe we'd be better off if we measured it, you know, digitally. And, and, and so, so there's, there's you know, machine learning is, you know, and this is an example of, you know, if the data, you know, we this may be a way that, you know, the data may be clean as we could think it could be coming through SAP, RIP, but we maybe really have to measure it a different way for us to really kind of get the kind of machine learning outcomes we want. So it's very dependent on, so I guess the answer to your question is very dependent on the business you're in, whether it's B2B, whether it's B2C, uh, whether it's just B2B, what part of the life cycle you're in, et cetera, about how you think about which one of these types of things you should should be taking on. But uh, the thing I would say is, if you are not thinking about this as a company, you can be sure that your competitors or disruptive startups are thinking about this. And, the, you know, the, the basic idea is, how, do I, how, do I, how would I take data and, and, and for these disruptors, add machine learning to it, and come up with a superior product or offering? And they often these companies that are born digital have lots of advantages over the old incumbents. And if, if the incumbents don't think about how they do this stuff, they could find themselves disrupted.
0: That's a lot to think about. I mean, I I think both of you guys said some really important things here at the end. I really like the probability of something is X, what will that make a difference? If I predict one, it is one. What does it do for me? If I predict two, it is one. What does it cost me? And just thinking about it in a different way, that might be the good topic of another podcast. I think this has been a great conversation. If you guys are interested more on this, Kevin has written a great blog on the dualism of data intelligence. We also have uh, our website, www.sap.com forward slash data intelligence. And um, I, Doug, do you write many blogs out there? Kevin's writing a lot.
2: I, 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 a lot. Do, I do have plenty of blogs out on the, in, in the in the digitalist, so you, you can find okay. So, yeah. Um, we'll, so. we'll find
0: you there. Okay. okay. All right. And we'll put in a few links also. All right. Well, guys, thank you so much. I appreciate you being here today. I think it's been a great conversation. Have a great rest of your day, and thank you so much. Thank you. Thank very much. you.